Good morning, everybody, and a happy new year from me too. It's great to be back home. People tell me home is where my mum lives, but it's not. It's where I live, and it's great to be back. Uh, we've just slightly confused you with the uh, service sheets. The call to worship isn't using the bit that it says. That's actually in the prayers after the first hymn. But we like to just keep you on your toes, and I like to confuse Paul, clearly. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 29. <coughs> Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So we come to pray. And the words printed on the sheet under call to worship will be used responsively within our opening prayer. I think it it will kind of work itself out. So let's pray together. God is here with us, creator, redeemer, sustainer, father, son, and spirit. We pause, awed, humbled, amazed that God chooses to be present with us, here and now. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. God delights in us. God blesses us with good gifts, material, emotional and spiritual. We pause, grateful, uncomprehending, how the one who makes all things cares specifically for each one of us. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. God forgives us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and for all. We pause, silent, still, acknowledging our ongoing need for forgiveness and healing. Holy, holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. God is always with us, near and far, day and night, glad and sad, rich or poor, well or ill. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who hears and responds. Blessed are we who know ourselves loved. Hosanna in the highest. 
Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the New English Bible, Good News Bible, sorry, and we read in chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. This is found on page 367. The story of Naaman being cured. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria. Because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. In one of their raids against Israel, the Syrians had carried off a little Israelite girl who became a servant of Naaman's wife. One day she said to her mistress, I wish that my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his disease. When Naaman heard of this, he went to the king and told him what the girl had said. The king said, go to the king of Israel and take this letter to him. So Naaman set out taking 30,000 pieces of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of fine clothes. The letter that he took read, This letter will introduce my officer, Naaman. I want you to cure him of his disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and exclaimed, How can the king of Syria expect me to cure this man? Does he think I am God? And with the power of life and death? It's plain that he's trying to start a quarrel with me. When the prophet Elisha heard what had happened, he sent word to the king. Why are you so upset? Send the man to me and I'll show him there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stopped at the entrance to Elisha's house. Elisha sent a servant out to tell him to go and wash himself seven times in the river Jordan and he would be completely cured of his disease. But Naaman left in a rage saying, I thought he would at least come out to me. Pray to the Lord his God, wave his hands over the diseased spot and cure me. Besides, aren't the rivers Havana and Farfar back in Damascus better than any river in Israel? I could have washed in them and been cured. His servants went to him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. Now why can't you just wash yourself as he said and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan dipped himself in it seven times, as Elisha had instructed, and he was completely cured. His flesh became firm and healthy, like that of a child. And the second reading in the New Testament, this is found in Matthew chapter 18. 
1 to 5, and this is found on page 25. 26, sorry. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a child, made him stand in front of them and said, I assure you that unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself and becomes like this child. And whoever welcomes in my name one such child as this welcomes me. May God bless the reading to our hearts and minds. I wonder how good your memories are. You can cast your back, your mind back to last June. One of the things that I said when I came to meet you all was that I would really like to integrate the church and Sunday school a lot more than they are in some churches anyway, let's put it that way, uh, to work with the children as well as with the adults. And so far, for lots of good reasons, that hasn't really happened. And it's probably still a way off into the future before I shall start to get more actively involved in, in working with the Sunday School directly. But I, I really want to do that because I think it's really important in our understanding and living out of being one church, one faith community, serving different ages and stages of life. Very interestingly, um, Barbara lent me a couple of copies of the, ch the two church histories and I started reading, and I discovered that the very first minister of Hillhead Baptist Church, the Reverend Robarts, Robarts, I'm never quite sure how you're supposed to say his name, same problems that I have, he used to teach in Sunday school, and he actually published his Sunday school lessons, apparently. So actually, there's nothing new in what I would like to do. It's kind of going back to our roots, as the, the saying goes. So, you know, we are a church that has a long history of valuing our children and our young people and thinking that their nurture is really important. And one of the ways I think we can build that togetherness is to bring into closer alignment what we do in church and what the children are thinking about in Sunday school. Just to listen to God's voice as we explore the same themes. So here's a bit of a health warning. The next few months are going to see a few changes, uh, not too radical and not too sudden, I hope, but some experiments in, in valuing everybody as an equal participant and sometimes worshipping all together without the children having to do the leading. For the first step towards this, though, for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on Bible stories affecting people who have diseases usually referred to as leprosy. And that's a choice that I've made to connect with what Sunday School had already planned to do because they're doing some work focusing on the work of the leprosy mission. And at the end of January, on World Leprosy Day, we'll bring that all together and, and mark that day. In Matthew 18, the second reading that we just heard, the disciples, who were the people Jesus had chosen, were doing what they seemed to do best and worrying about who was the most important. They seem quite good. I don't know if it's a male thing or a disciple thing, but, you know, who's the most important in the kingdom? Is it me? Is it me? And 
Jesus, being Jesus, didn't answer. He took a child, and we don't know if it was a boy or a girl. Um, the word that is used can actually be translated it. And apparently in Roman culture, children were its. They weren't boys and they weren't girls. So he put this thing in the middle of them and he said, actually, this is what you need to be like to be in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody who the earth, the world, thinks is a thing, has no intrinsic value. You have to become like a child. Seemingly, in a lot of Roman families, children weren't even given a name until they were five or six years old, and there was a reasonable chance that they would live to adulthood. Until that time, they weren't named. And they weren't treated as we treat children. They were actually seen as savages to be tamed. Can you, I mean, you think of our lovely children and, and the lovely babies. I mean, how can you think a baby is a savage? But seemingly that's, I don't know, maybe the parents think that at three in the morning. But seemingly the Romans thought they were, they were savages. So here are these disciples who think they're really important. And Jesus says, well, actually, no. Become like one of these children. That's what you need to be like. And whoever seems to be the least important is actually the most important in, in God's way of doing things. And as I thought about that passage, I thought, well, I wonder what Jesus thought about himself. What are the stories in the Bible about children who are important? And of course, the story of, well, if we hear it, it's the story of Naaman, don't we? And I've deliberately, in the, the papers that you've got, turned it round and said it's Naaman's wife's maid. Because this little girl, who was an Israelite, who doesn't have a name, who was taken captive by the army of Aram or Syria, depending which translation you're using, who worked as the maid of an unnamed powerful military leader, is right at the centre of this story. If there was no child, there wouldn't be a story. That's the great irony that the person who, humanly speaking, is the least important is actually the most important of all. This little girl who had no worth, without her, no story. It wouldn't have happened. We have to remind ourselves that children have a worth here and now. And we all say it. I can remember when I came and met you in June. I, I can't remember whether it was Anita or Anne, but somebody from the Sunday school said, you know, we firmly believe children are the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. And we all nodded, because we all think that, don't we? And then we shove them out to Sunday school and kind of keep the distance, because it's a bit scary. But actually, if we really value them, we've got things to listen to them and hear what they say, because they might have something to say to us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a child of God. What are the lessons that we can learn from the story of Naaman's wife's maid that might be helpful for us here and now? 
We don't actually get told anything about Naaman's household, but there's a lot that seems to me to be implied, lots of hints. What we do know about Naaman, he was an esteemed military commander. He'd been successful in battle, and he was very powerful. Seemed like he had everything going for him. And then he got sick. He got a skin disease, generally referred to as leprosy, that was potentially debilitating, and people were afraid of it. Could they they catch this disease? No amount of wealth or power could make him well again. And it must have affected everybody who lived in his household. His wife must have been worried. This man that she loved was ill. What might that mean for her? And what would it mean for those who worked for them? Would they lose their jobs? And what might it mean for a young foreign maidservant? It seems likely to me, though I can't prove it, that Naaman's wife and her Israelite maid had a good relationship that allowed them to talk, presumably in the same language, and certainly to talk about matters affecting family life. It seems likely that the beginning of the story, as we heard it, emerges from a conversation between wife and maid. And so here is this young girl, far away from home, most probably separated from everybody she knew and loved, who's been brought into this household, and seemingly she cared about the family for whom she worked. And so there is this conversation between her and her mistress that was going to change the course of the whole story. As she says, in that lovely way that children do, well, if only, if only my master could see the prophets in Israel. Don't children do that so brilliantly? They, they're not like us, Alex. That's impossible. Like they just say, if only, if only this could happen. And Naaman's wife listened and she responded. She didn't go, yeah, love, that's nice. She went off to see Naaman and said, Naaman, Naaman, guess what? The servant girl has said, this might be a way forward for us. And Naaman listened to his wife, and he went to the king. And the king listened to Naaman, and he wrote the letter that would enable him to go and seek the cure he so longed for. Is it possible that Naaman's household was a place where people of all ages and all situations could talk and listen to each other? Was it a place where a little servant girl felt safe enough to speak about her faith and confident enough to share her, if only, her dreams? What we do know is that this girl spoke and it changed lives. And I think we've heard the story so many times, or I have, that perhaps that doesn't hit us. Can you imagine if Freya went off and said to Alex Salmond, actually, I think this is what you should be doing for Scotland. Or we sent Leo to talk to Gordon Brown. Or let's send Ollie to talk to Barack Obama, shall we? See what would happen if they went and spoke to those people. But what about what we can do? What about here? Is our church community a place 
Well, we don't just listen to the children and say, oh, that's lovely. But we actually take on board what they're saying to us. I wonder what would happen if one of our children in Sunday school today said to their leaders, what if only we could do... And then the teacher told me. And I told the managers. And then we brought it to the church meeting. Would we actually listen for God speaking through that child? Or would we go, yeah, yeah, that's nice. We remember when we thought like that. The challenge for me, I think, and perhaps a challenge for all of us, to think how we create a place where we can all, as children of God, speak our thoughts and where we can listen to those who are children in age. But it also makes me think, how much do we tell the children how things really are for us? Naaman's wife seemingly talked to the little girl about her husband's illness. Do we do that? Do we be open with children or do we try to shield them from that world because it's a bit nasty and a bit scary? How do we build up those kinds of relationships that really allow us all to be open with each other and to listen to what God is saying through everybody? Back to the story. He gets his paperwork sorted out and Naaman sets off to find this prophet he's heard about. And he goes off to the king of Israel who is terrified thinking it's all a trap, this man's come to catch me out and and start a war. It's a very strange story. But Elisha heard about it and and kind of calmed the king down and said, it's all right, you know, send him to me. And it's a really, really strange story, actually, if we think about it. Naaman is a powerful man. He's used to the fact that people take notice of him. And so he goes and he arrives outside Elisha's door and Elisha sends out a servant and says, oh, go and tell him to wash seven times in the Jordan. Naaman was not expecting that. Surely to goodness, this is me, Naaman. The prophet will come out and see me. Surely he will invoke the name of his God. Surely he'll do some great ritual waving his hands about so everybody can see that I've been made well. And as for going and washing in some grotty foreign river, well, you can forget that. We've got better rivers back home. Interestingly, the good news seems to miss out the bit that says Naaman was in a rage. I've got this picture in my head that he stamps off. Or maybe he does one of those toddler tantrums and lies on the floor and kicks his feet. But certainly, he is feeling very sorry for Naaman. So they're very courageous servants that go up to this angry man and say, hang on a minute. And it says a lot about Naaman, that the powerful, angry man who behaves in a very childish way will listen to his servants, the nobodies. And they speak great wisdom, don't they? If he said to you, do something complicated, you'd have done it. So why not try this simple thing? You never know. It might work. And what's to lose anyway if you don't wash yourself in this river if it doesn't work, you know? Naaman was an adult. And he thought as adults think. 
bit like us, really. We've learned through our experiences what's possible and what's not possible. Naaman, in his battle, would have seen war firsthand. He knew about life and death. He knew about power games and politics. Maybe he was a bit cynical. Maybe his ability to dream and imagine had been squashed. We know he was a man who could deal with tough realities and hard decisions. We also know he could get into a right old rage if things didn't go his way. Are we a bit like that? I know I can be. But back at home, where Naaman had come from, was a young girl who could say, if only he could see the prophet, he'd be healed. Naaman was worried about how it would happen. Will people see that I'm better and will people treat me as I should be treated? Whereas the girl was just concerned with what would happen. But Naaman be healed. His behaviour, whilst we might understand it, was childlike, sorry, childish, whereas hers was childlike. And there is a difference. Childishness is not to be emulated. That tends to be not very good. But childlikeness, that's good. We are adults, and we, like Naaman, have, have kind of got the experience of so many years that makes us worry about how things will happen. How will we find the money to do the church? How will we build the relationships with the Sunday schools? How will we do whatever it is we have to do? Well, unlike Naaman, no one's going to come and tell us to go and wash seven times in the Clyde. At least I hope not today anyway, because it would be flipping freezing. But there is a danger that we want everything complicated, because that's more grown up, isn't it? If it's really, you know, demands a lot of us, that's got to be better. So there are some questions for us, I think, about whether we want things to be big and grand and public, and people will notice us. And do we sulk if we don't get our own way? At the same time, we have to be sensible and mature. We mustn't trivialise complex issues and try and just say, well, if we pray, it'll all be fine. Because Jesus expects us to grow in our faith. Our prayers should be the prayers of faith, the prayers of mature disciples. But we need to be aware that we can actually get a bit jaded. You know, the disappointments of life stop us dreaming, stop us imagining, stop us hearing what people say or dreaming dreams and having visions. To be like a child is to be able to say, if only then. That's what Naaman's wife's maidservant said. If only he could see the prophet, then he would be healed. If only with God's help and our abilities, then. So Naaman goes and bathes in the Jordan, and the miracle happens. But what a miracle it really is. Just a few words at the end of that passage really struck me as I read it this last week. I go off into my realms of imagination now. I think Naaman was probably middle-aged. don't know, but I guess he probably was. May well have had a few battle scars, a few grey hairs, or a lot, or maybe he was bald, I don't know. Some wrinkles, a bit saggy around the middle, 
and then the leprosy, which would have affected his fingers and his toes, possibly even his eyes. But after he's washed seven times, so scripture tells us, he comes up with the firm flesh and soft skin of a child. Could it be that in this experience, in some way, he's now been made young again? He's seen what life is like, the brutality of battle. He knows about the pain and debilitation of his illness. His imagination has been dulled and his hope dashed more times than enough. But now, through this ridiculous act, he's now young again. And I kind of imagine him looking at his fingers and wiggling them in delight because they work, they're new. And the places on his body that were sore, and now they're firm and healthy. And I wonder, did he laugh out loud and splash in the water for the sheer pleasure of it all? Did he throw his arms around his servants and, and dance on the shore as they dried himself? How did he feel as he went off to meet the prophet? And all of this because a nameless girl from Israel and her, if only, which his wife heard and told him, and he convinced the king who wrote the letter, and he went to the prophet who said, go and bathe, And the servants could chastise him when he got angry. Sounds like the house that Jack built, really, doesn't it? It's all these bits building up. But the child at the centre, the child who started the story going. All of this because God chooses the humble to shame the wise. All of this known to Jesus who said, unless you become like little children... You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And all of this so that we who hear can be made young again to dream dreams, to see visions. So that the child who still lives in each one of us, you know, I'm still 17 inside, honest, and I expect you all are, whatever you are on the outside, so that that child can be set free. And so that we, like Naaman, can learn to hear God's voice when it comes to us through a child. I just want to close with a short prayer. God, who came to us as a baby, vulnerable and helpless, born in a dangerous place to a young woman far away from home, who grew up in an ordinary household, nurtured by those who loved him in body, mind and spirit. May we learn to value children as you do, to listen to them, to learn with and from them, and together with them, to be made forever young at heart, children of your kingdom. Amen. Our intercessions today will focus on the needs of children and young people and those 
who care for them. Let's pray together. Our loving God, who is more to us than either father or mother, or both, we bring to you our prayers as a child would come to a trusted parent, confident, hopeful, and honest. We thank you for the miracle of life witnessed afresh in the birth of each child. For the wonder of human ingenuity discovered as for the first time by each child. For the delight of living expressed in each young life. As we rejoice and celebrate, we're also conscious of the responsibilities of adulthood to nurture and protect those entrusted to us and to others, enabling them to grow and to flourish. We pray for all those whose work is devoted to the care of children. We think of parents who seek to do their very best for their children, sometimes in very difficult or challenging circumstances. Of midwives, obstetricians and health visitors whose skills are employed in the safe birth and care of babies and their mothers. Of nursery nurses, childminders and others who care for tots in their crucial early days. Of teachers, classroom assistants and support workers who ensure education is made available for all children in our nation. Of youth workers, children's workers and youth pastors who give their time, paid or voluntary, to support, encourage and enable children and young people to grow to maturity and experience life's riches. Of social workers who daily face the challenges of supporting families in crisis or struggle. Gracious God, you know the specific needs, hopes and fears of all these people. Grant to them strength and courage, balanced with gentleness and love, to fulfil their calling. We pray for those in our own fellowship whose roles relate to the care and nurture of the children entrusted to us. For those who care for the tiny tots in the creche. For those who lead our Sunday school, diligently preparing week by week to share the love of Christ and nurture the nascent faith of childhood or youth. For those who oversee and implement our child protection policy, ensuring the safety of children, young people and adults alike. Gracious God, we thank you for those who serve you in this way and ask that you give them confidence in their work, delight in their achievements, and energy for service. We pray for the children who share the life of this fellowship, from the newest newborn baby to the adolescents on the brink of adulthood.
We thank you for them, each one unique and precious in your sight. Help us to value them as you value them, to listen to their dreams and to their fears, to trust them and to believe in them even when we find it difficult, to pray for them and with them, but never about them, to love them and journey with them as their faith finds mature expression. Gracious God, you know each child so much better than we do. May they always know your love surrounding them and find fulfilment in their own lives of discipleship. We pray for ourselves, for our own inner child. Fearful, hopeful, bewildered, excited, however it is he or she may be. Gracious God, make us young again, not in body, but in hope, not in maturity, but in our capacity to dream, not in years, but in wonder. May we, your children, inhabit your kingdom and live to serve you as our only king. For in Christ's own name we pray. Amen. Amazing God, who came to us as a child in Jesus of Nazareth, help us as your children to go from here invigorated and renewed for our lives of service and discipleship. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and all people this day and forevermore. <coughs>